everyone. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Intelligent Campus with Greg and Don. Today's episode, Waiting for Connectivity, the Rise of Wireless Technology on Campus. As always, our hosts are Greg Kovich and Don Otto. Don is on a well-deserved summer break, so Greg will be flying solo today. Joining Greg once again is Hator Ferroni, the Head of Network Solutions for Education at Alcatelucin Enterprise. Hator has more than 20 years of experience in both the enterprise and carrier markets and holds a BS in computer science from the Brazilian University of Campinas. He is responsible for go-to-market strategy and business development for education network solutions and is a thought leader for IoT and wireless technology. Gentlemen, the mic is yours. Well, thank you so much, Blaine. Hater, welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to participate in this podcast. Ah, I hope that you still have that attitude at the end of this, because, buddy, we're we're going to be draining your brain. You know, um, this is a great topic. This uh, this this topic around Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is the perfect technology for educators to be able to, to turn any location into a learning space. But that presents its challenges. You know, when you have, a, let's say, a K-12 technology director that has a brand new building that's under construction, what should he be concerned or she be concerned about when they're trying to figure out what is the appropriate coverage for their wireless network? Greg, this is a very important uh, planning, right, that has to happen beforehand. And let me just tell you as, as a vendor what we see over and over, right? Many cases we hear of schools that just brought this new set of Chromebooks with the full cart because they got uh, the government support to, to introduce the one-to-one right uh, ratio for students. And all of a sudden, their, their network just melt down. Right? They, they try to use the new education applications, the new gamifications that we see. Uh, being used to you know keep students more motivated and all of a sudden becomes a nightmare because students cannot connect they don't get the throughput that they need and then they come desperately to us and say well what can you do to help us right what i think is important is that uh, the institutions really think ahead think of what you're trying to achieve remember you know we're using more and more video more and more online classes so yeah this has become uh, a very important point that you're going to depend and the the need for throughput for bandwidth is only going to increase so it is important that you plan uh, not only in what technology you have today, so is that enough? So what technology you need? We'll talk about AC Wave 2, the future with AX, but also where you want coverage, right? It's just in the classrooms, or is it in auditoriums, um, you know, in the case of universities and stadiums, right? So really, if you look at the behavior of students, they really need connectivity everywhere. So this is in the dorms, uh, in the classrooms, in the theaters, um, in the stadiums, outdoors. So you need to know which areas to coverage, look at uh, what is the best technology, and then you have to think about uh, internal antennas or external antennas. Uh, You need to have a heat map to know what is the coverage. You need to think about roaming capabilities, as you mentioned, we discussed because uh, this can be, uh, you know, when you're doing phone calls, 
or you are doing a video session, you want to make sure that uh, that session doesn't drop as you move around. So these are all factors that you need to take into, into consideration. Shifting then to, let's say, dormitories in, in higher education, I, I'm hearing that esports are becoming the rage um, in universities and in higher education now to where even some universities are offering scholarships to students to, uh, to be esports athletes. And uh, that has to be, um, unless they're wired, that has to be a big uh, demand on, on Wi-Fi. So this is, this is great advice that you're providing to everyone. Um, be able to look at first, what type of throughput do you expect those spaces to need? What type of applications do you expect those spaces to be using? And then to be able to use then the tools such as site survey and heat maps to determine whether or not you have accomplished the goal. You know, one aspect that I saw in some schools or in some universities is Many times they think, okay, all we need to provide is technology to let them use the educational tools, the online classes or the access to, let's say, a digital textbook. However, especially when you think about higher education, it's not only the educational aspects, it's also the social aspects, right? The experience that the students have in the school. Because they are far away from home, right? And they need uh, to have entertainment, to have, um, you know, to be able to carry their social life. And most, a lot of it is done online, right? So if you are planning, for example, how much bandwidth you're going to offer in the dormitories, it's not just the education, right? People are doing uh, streaming videos, right? They are watching sports or they are playing the e-games, as you mentioned, right? So all these aspects need to take into consideration. So universities especially are, are becoming more student-centric and they need to take that into consideration. You know, it's the educational aspect, but also the social and, and you know, the entertainment aspect. Excellent. Great advice, Ater. And for me, as a former K-12 technology director, in 1999, when when Wi-Fi or, or wireless LANs were starting to pop up, I realized right away that this was a terrific technology for education. It untethers the computer. It allows any space to be a potential learning space. It uh, gives teachers great flexibility with uh, what they want to do with their lesson plans. And, you know, Ater, for yourself, you know, how have you seen these evolutions in in the Wi-Fi or in the 802.11 specification? Sure. And, you know, just before we go into that, I, I agree with you. Who would imagine that the Wi-Fi will be so, you know, so much used in education and everywhere, to be honest, right? And beyond what we even imagined many years ago. Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, I was just, you know, just uh, thinking about it, the pervasiveness of, of Wi-Fi. Um, a couple of my family members have been uh, in the hospital recently, and I've had uh, the experience to, to stick around for a while and was super surprised to see that almost everything that was rolling by or that was in a room um, was untethered 
but yet communicating with each other. And so they, so it's the healthcare industry seems to be very well focused also on, on Wi-Fi in addition to education. So it's, uh, you know, again, and I mean, have you seen, you know, what's the, what's the strangest place you've seen Wi-Fi, Hater? Are you been, you travel the world. Um, any, uh, anything, I mean, hey, hate, hate to put you on the spot, but, you know, for me, there was Wi-Fi at, the, I swear there was Wi-Fi at the uh, Great Wall of China. I was up there and I got a Wi-Fi signal. I couldn't believe it. Nowadays, when you travel, right, many people cannot use their data plan, but you expect to have Wi-Fi in every restaurant, any coffee shop, right, uh, airports, uh, everywhere, even when you are in the bathroom, right? You know, there is content. <laughs> some, some bathrooms have even a small TV, that, you know, showing content to you. <laughs> so, yeah, it's everywhere. That uh, it's, it's amazing, right? Uh, sometimes you wish that you could be disconnected for a little bit, but uh, I guess our reality is we're going to be connected everywhere. Well, you know, for me, being connected is, it, it's its almost like air, you know, you expect it. But um, what really frustrates me is the poor performance. And, you know, Wi-Fi is a specification. For those of you that are coming into this new or wanting to learn a little bit about the Wi-Fi standard, wireless LANs, Wi-Fi is simply radio waves. And just like radio waves, they react differently to different materials. And so you could, you know, with uh, if you're old enough like myself, where you owned a transistor radio at one time, and walked around your house, you found that maybe you could get your favorite radio station better in certain places. And that was all because of the attenuation of the radio signal. And that's the same thing with, with Wi-Fi. And it seems like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that it's fortunate that the IEEE group is managing this specification because they're they're taking the feedback from each of the iterations of the specification and then making the next one that they publish to incorporate improvements and fixes from from the previous one uh, if i recall um 802.11b which was really the first one that was adopted had a transmission rate of like 11 megabits per second and uh, then A came out and used uh, and used a different frequency spectrum, and was at 54 megabits. But you know, and everybody, boy, as soon as I heard that, I was thinking, all right, 54 megabits. But boy, um, with all the framing that's going between the wireless and the Ethernet network and back and forth, uh, my throughput was nowhere near uh, that standard. So, uh, you know, do you, do you have any insight on, on kind of this evolution of, of Wi-Fi and where we may be at today? Sure, sure. Yeah, so the, the evolution continue, as you mentioned, right, with 802.11n. You know, now, now we could reach speeds of about 450 uh, megabits, so, you know, much more than the previous technology. Uh, and, and the important thing that uh, they did is whenever they did a new version, it was always backwards compatible. So you could continue to use your legacy devices, but you also, you know, as the new chipsets come up, uh, new smartphones come up, they would take advantage of these higher speeds. Uh, so, yes, it evolved uh, to AC um, you know, that was able in the wave one to reach about uh, 800 uh, megabits. And then currently what we have mostly deployed is AC wave two, which gives you above gigabit, you know, overall throughput, right? Uh, 
you can reach, you know, what happens is you, you are using now two channels, right? One and 2.4 and five gigahertz. You have broader channels, uh, two frequencies, broader channels, you know, from 40 to 80 to 160 uh, megahertz. So the broader the channel, the more throughput you have. And you have multiple streams, right? So today with Wave 2, you have uh, many access points with uh, typically three and in some cases, four spatial streams. So of course, as, as you put it, this all together, it gives you a much better experience uh, than before. Right? What about user density? I mean, it seems like that more and more, uh, like I was looking at, at uh, Alcatel Lucent's web, web page and um, was showing some of the APs uh, from the Stellar lineup that can have up to like, you know, 400 users simultaneously. And I, I remember the rule of thumb was like no more than like 25 or 30 on an AP. Is that, was I misreading that? Or is there something else going on that the specification has unlocked? Uh, previous technologies, uh, the AP could talk simultaneously only to one device. So it was one device at a time. So I talked to one, then I have to switch to the other one. And as you hit the ones that are slower, it imp impacts everybody else. With multiple streams and multi-user MIMO, you can now have one stream for each device. So you can, if you have four streams, you simultaneously transmit to four devices. So this, beyond just the normal throughput, also allows you to have a much uh, better experience in high-density areas. How does that AP allow me to have, I mean, is there a way to manage these multiple users that give you, like, access to the bandwidth? Kind of like, you know, um, Ethernet is carrier sense multiple device, and you... Um, you know, you're looking at you're looking at detection. You're trying to detect collisions before you transmit. Is there a, a similar mechanism like that in Wi-Fi that gives like fairness to uh, to the devices? Yes, yes. We call that airtime fairness, right? So <laughs> okay. you you want to you want to make sure that everybody has a slice of time, right? Whereas that where they can transmit, and you try to. There are multiple techniques. So we we don't need to get into a lot of details, but you know, from, as you know, when you enter, let's say, in an airport area or let's go back to the schools, right? You are in a, uh, in a lobby area or into a, a, a large auditorium, right? Um, first of all, you typically may have more than one AP covering a very dense area. So you, you want to make sure, first of all, not all the devices attach to the same IP. You have to distribute them between the APs that you have available. The other technology that you have is uh, to make sure that uh, the mo more modern devices go to the 5 gigahertz and leave the 2.4 gigahertz for more of the legacy devices. So you have a better distribution. Then, as you mentioned before, the airtime fairness, right? I need to make sure that everybody gets a slice. So all these techniques put together really help you to help improve the experience and give a chance for everybody to transmit. Well, and then does does Wi-Fi also um, support quality of service so that you can run voice applications or even video applications over it reliably? Oh, yes, yes. And this is uh, has to do with uh, roaming, right? Uh, as it, because one thing is having the connectivity when you are 
in one position and you're not moving. But when you are roaming, moving around the building, you need to have fast roaming. So real-time applications like voice communications or, or video communications, uh, video the distribution, uh, doesn't get impacted. So you do need fast roaming to support uh, to these cases. So then you you can actually see that in a Wi-Fi environment, it's very similar to a, to a wired local area network environment. No wonder the education uh, industry has adopted this because, again, as I mentioned before, what first attracted me to it or the thing that I recognized right away was untethering the computer. And, you know, no longer did you, were you tied to a computer lab or to the computer clusters that may be in the classroom, but instead now a green space or a cafeteria or, you know, uh, any other multi uh, or large group instruction room can now be a true learning uh, learning place. You know, and you know, you mentioned the 2.4 gigahertz uh, spectrum. That's one that. Um, I've been I've been kind of reading up on this, and and uh, I noticed that that seems to be a spectrum that has a lot of uh, of interference, such as even from like typical uh, microwave ovens, you know, things that you would see in a typical house is, um, you know, just to, to move to more our own personal lives, is there, a, you know, the consumer Wi-Fi that we can buy, like, you know, like say the Apple airports or like a D-Link uh, something or another uh, or Netgear or something, do these allow the user to be able to turn on and turn off to different spectrums? Yeah, well, it, it's important to distinguish, right, what are consumer-based uh, solutions, like uh, the ones you mentioned, right, like uh, D-Link or, you know, and other vendors that are, they work okay in your home environment, right? But all these advanced features that we talk about, airtime fairness, you know, making sure that you don't have sticky clients just attaching to one AP, distribution uh, through all the different uh, frequencies, uh, all of these you have on the more, let's say, what we call the corporate or the enterprise level of devices, right? So you cannot use the consumer type of uh, APs in, an, in a business environment or in an education in, uh, environment. You know, again, you know, talking about consumer, the only thing I worry about when I put together my wireless LAN here for my home was to make sure that there was a decent password for people that, you know, isn't easily guessed to get on my network. Are there other, like for enterprise, are there better security mechanisms than just the plain password to get onto the network? Well, you know, many places what they do, they have multiple SSIDs, each one with their own password, right? And depending on the individual, let's say teachers could have one SSID that they can use. Students can have a different SSID, but each one with their own password. Now, there are other mechanisms more sophisticated that, uh, for example, we have in the Stellar solution where you create profiles associated with individuals. So everybody can use the same SSID, you know, have one password, but then depending on the profile of the individual, if it is a professor, of course, he can have access to pretty much anything he wants, to the grading system. However, if it's a student, you, you want to grant him them different access, right? Of course, you don't want to grant them access to the grading system, but you want to grant them access to the devices in the classroom that they need to use 
or to any software or application that they need access. Uh, so these mechanisms can be automated. And, you know, once you register your device, you don't need to do anything else, right? So this is, there are, uh, this is what we call the support for BYOD. Once we recognize your device once, you know, everything is transparent after that. And each individual gets access granted according to the rights. So that's very important in education. You know, looking at some of the um, advances in Wi-Fi, I've been noticing that the industry seems to be offering some access points that actually have uh, Bluetooth low energy beacons in there. And I never could get like a a real good reason for that. Is there, I mean, you know, you from product marketing, what uh, does Alcatel Lucent uh, have BLE in in any of the uh, access points that we sell? Uh, yes, we do, Greg. Actually, the chipset manufacturers are evolving and they see that there is not a single technology that uh, uh, can provide the, the best solution for all use cases, right? So uh, Wi-Fi is great to provide uh, connectivity uh, for the devices that we have, like smartphones, laptops. They have a lot of power, right? Uh, they have a lot of uh, processing capacity. But there are other solutions, like you mentioned, the BLE. BLE is great to provide uh, location-based services. If you look at the BLE beacon and the more generic location-based service, you can provide instructions you know, about how to get from point A to point B. So wayfinding, right? You are a new student. Uh, you need to know, you wanna find out where the cafeteria is or you wanna find out where your classroom is. You can get directions, right? From where, wherever you are, how to reach that, what is the shortest path, maybe what's the average time to get there. Uh, you can use that, let's say, even to, uh, you know, if you make a reservation of a book in the library, give you direction not only to how to reach the library, but also how to find, you know, the shelf where the book is. Huh. That is incredible. I've been, I mean, I always have been directionally challenged. Uh, I had a real close friend that he, he was great whenever we went on a car, you know, whenever we drove up to Chicago. But um, for me, I was, it was a mystery, which way was north, south, east, and west. This wayfinding sounds really clever, but is this the same type of technology that does um, what's what I've heard called geofencing? Like when I walk into a Starbucks, you know, and yeah. then it is. Okay. Yeah. So the same technology, you have just different use cases, right? One option is to do wayfinding, as I mentioned before. The other is geofencing. And geofencing basically allows you to define virtual areas. And then when somebody enters or, or leaves that virtual area, you can send some sort of notification. So as, as you were uh, starting to refer to uh, Starbucks, right? You can create a geofence around the Starbucks store. And as students or professors come close by, I know that and I can send them the latest, latest offer. What is the special coffee of the day? So you can send all sorts of notifications. 
Huh, that's interesting. I remember walking by, it was a freak snowstorm that we had in April and uh, <laughs> I got a thing pushed to me for hot, hot chocolate. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, um, speaking of this technology and I kind of, I'm a technology guy. I really like the tech. It not only has the 802.11 uh, specification changed and what, what are they calling this next one, AX? Is it Wave 6? Yeah, they are trying to simplify the name a little bit because uh, it's becoming fairly complex. But the next generation is 802.11 AX, which will be known as Wi-Fi 6. Uh, even our Stellar product line will launch our its first uh, uh, AX modules or Wi-Fi 6 by the end of this year. And it has a lot of improvements. So of course, you know, even more throughput, better support in high-density areas. Uh, even improvements in the multi-user MIMO, and also has uh, some uh, smart technology to connect IoT devices. So um, it saves, helps save battery on devices that are not always transmitting. Right? So uh, there is quite a lot of improvements coming up. And with that, too, the architecture of Wi-Fi networks has evolved as well. I remember in the early days, we had what was known as FAT APs. And it seems like I'm looking at the Stellar lineup now, and you don't have a controller, but you're not really a FAT AP. So it's like you've you've unleashed the throughput because that's one of the detractions of having a controller environment is that all of the traffic from the access points gets tunneled back to the controller. And then from there, the controller then analyzes, does whatever it's supposed to do with it, and then passes it along to the to its final destination. Um, the issue with that is that as the throughput starts to increase, you imagine that the controller becomes your bottleneck. And every time you expand your network or a new technology come up, you need to change the controller. Uh, and that can be fairly expensive. Uh, not to mention also that that becomes a single point of failure, right? If that goes down, your entire network is down. So scalability is an issue, resiliency is an issue, right? And cost as well. Uh, so what we were able to do is combine the best of both worlds. As you, as you said, keep a thin AP, but there is you know, enough capacity. So we kept the data traffic is distributed. So the intelligence, uh, with each AP has the intelligence to know where to forward the packets, the data packets. However, we can still manage them centrally. And uh, so it's easy to make any updates, any easy to make any changes in policies, uh, security policies, uh, quality of service policies, all from a single uh, central uh, point. And we have the flexibility to have this management be either on-premise, you know, on a traditional server or on the cloud. Uh, so depending on the uh, size of the IT department that the education institution have, you know, one solution may be better or the other, right? Uh, the of course, the on-premise gives the IT department the whole control and they can do everything and take care of everything. But the cloud is a great option when, you know, your IT team is overloaded uh, and you don't want to worry about, you know, upgrading, you know, managing servers and have to do software upgrades. 
uh, you can just have that managed by ALE uh, from the cloud. That's um, that's actually something that um, I need to explore for our K-12 customers. That is e-rateable. And we are, you know, oh, almost fully e-rate eligible. So almost all of the uh, cloud-based uh, solution, you know, almost all the licenses uh, are fully eligible. So definitely have a look. Thank you, Greg, and thank you, Hator. This has been the Intelligent Campus with Greg and Don, sponsored by Alcatelus Enterprise. Be sure to stay tuned for more episodes, and once again, thanks for listening.